Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Welcome back to the show today. We have joined us from our neighbors up north, Canada, Miss Sarah Bessie. How are you? I'm doing great. It's so good to be back. It, you know what? It has been a while. I, it has. It, I, I don't, Jesus Feminist might have been the subject matter the last time we talked. How was it really? Oh my gosh, I, I can't I believe think the, it's been that long. The, the book had been out, but I think, so I started the podcast in 2013, mm-hmm. and I think you were my first guest that I didn't know, like that I had to like cold call, <laughs> like, hey, so, and I think it was about Jesus Feminist, and I, I, I hopefully you're cool with me saying this, I feel like we had a conversation where I was like, hey, yeah, I've got a podcast, and you're like, what is a podcast? And I was like, well, I'm going to like say nice things about your book, and we can just talk about it, and I felt like it was one of like the first times you had done a podcast. Is that somewhat accurate? You are not wrong. <laughs> are okay. Not wrong. The whole concept of a podcast was brand new information to me at that point. Yes. For sure. It was to me too. I just happened to be on the other side of the microphone uh, that <laughs> I-, I thought, hey, let's do this. This is a great idea. But I remember using that as a like an anecdote about how podcasting has changed from 2013 to 2000. That sounds like a long time ago. I don't even like saying that, that like we were like, we were just born. We were teenagers. We both just got a driver's license. That's <laughs> That's how that happened but yeah that's crazy so a lot is like a lot has changed you've gotten taller um you're still (laughs) in canada and here's the weirdest thing is like today i'm in texas with like snow on the ground freezing you know temperature and uh like our our life is upside down because of inclement weather in the winter not you how does this happen what happened i know this is like we're living in the upside down i think at this point it's just everything has stopped making sense down is up up is down i keep looking at these pictures of uh because we lived in texas for a couple of years my husband and i when he was in ministry and i remember being so irritated when people from canada or from up north would make fun of texas whenever it got cold because i was like they don't realize these people don't have coats they don't don't have they don't have tooth they don't have snow plows like what what are they supposed to do and so yeah i remember getting uh being quite surprised when we lived there just how i mean how would you know to turn your taps on to let them drip like whenever the pipes freeze right like you wouldn't know yeah we we don't know we don't now i was born in philadelphia learned to drive in ohio so like i grew up with there you go snow on the ground Uh, but even like i don't know how i forgot this but we never had to worry about our washing machine line freezing. Mm-hmm. Never was an issue before. And it was an issue for us two days, three days ago. And mm-hmm. my wife, so my wife's a nurse. She works a night shift. And the one night that she was at the hospital working, uh, I, I'm not saying my wife does all the laundry because there's like some gender stereotypes that I don't want to perpetuate. But in our household, she just happens to do the, most of the laundry. And so she's gone one night. And so the washing machine doesn't run and they freeze that night. So, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Rookie move. There is no end. I know. Well, there's no end to, I think, the ways that people are just really struggling and suffering right now with all of it. It's not, it's certainly not something that's, uh, I don't know, it's not easy, right? And so yeah. I think that that's one of the things that kind of just feels absolutely bizarre. I'm seeing people, you know, tobogganing in pizza boxes and yep. needing help with emergency relief shelters. It's just, yeah, I'm glad, glad that you're okay. Glad we can have a chat. I mean, yes. it's been a, been a hell of a time for you guys. Yeah, it has been. Uh, as they say, when hell freezes over, uh, it's a sign <laughs> of things happening. And it seems that Texas is froze over first. So, you know, whatever. But uh, y- you guys have survived. Doesn't make you want to move back to Texas and think, hey, I can have some of my Canada cold down in Texas these days? I cannot say that that is a temptation at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I 
You're not going to get me in trouble, Luke. You're not. <laughs> no, I'm not going to. We're only like four minutes in. Give me time. We've got uh, we got plenty of time left. I'll do my best. Um, okay, so good news. Uh, obviously, the good news is you're back on the podcast. Another piece of good news, which might be a little bit bigger deal, possibly, not sure, but maybe, New York Times bestseller. Like, the book has done extremely, extremely well. Congratulations. It's so exciting. It's so crazy. It's so crazy. I mean, I... Yeah, I, f- I found it just a couple of days ago, and it has felt very surreal. I think I spent the first day and a half being pretty sure it was a mistake, and somebody would come and take it back, like that Oscars that one time where they read the wrong name. Oh. So, <laughs> so far, so good. Oh, that has had to feel that way. <laughs> so we've had uh, Father Jim Martin was on the podcast. Uh, oh. We had Annie Downs, and then we've had you. So three out of the last four guests have all hit the bestseller list. Now, I'm not going to say it's because of me, but the math kind of indicate, like it kind of indicates there's something happening. Clearly, I know where, I know what side my bread is buttered on. You're a kingmaker. That's why I'm here. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. That's hilarious. What was it like uh, playing the role of not just like solo author, but uh, editor for a collection of uh, different writers? You know, it was my first time being able to do something like that. And it was really, really fun for me. It was a totally really? different muscle. It was fun because you get, um, I don't know, like, I don't know if this is necessarily like too much insider baseball, but there was this sense of like, I get to ask the people I like. Like I get to work with people who I respect and people I enjoy yeah. and admire who have deeply impacted my own spiritual formation and um, ways of walking with Jesus and being able to kind of have a reason to go get in touch and be like, do you want to come and work on this with me? And would you, um, you know, want to be a part of this prayer circle that I'm, I'm building in this book? Um, I still am pinching myself over how, you know, just lucky and fortunate I feel to be able to do good work with good people. That's something that's always meant a lot to me um, in life and ministry and work, you know, being able to link arms with people like this, it's doing good mm-hmm. work with good people. It's, there's nothing like it. It's a gift. It truly is. Now, a lot of my listeners are going, wait a minute, Sarah just said she wrote, had people write who were her friends. They're thinking, well, how come Luke wasn't invited? It's all women in the book. That's why, like, the invitation didn't make its way down to Austin. But one of the uh, one of the authors, Barbara Brown Taylor, is one of my absolute favorite people in the world. What was it like to be able to say, hey, Barbara, let me tell you how to write. I'm the editor here. Let me give you some tips. Let me give you some pointers on how, how writing works. <laughs> Let's say I did not, I did not even dare. Like, <laughs> you do not edit Barbara Brown Taylor. You just receive the gift and give thanks. That's what you do. Yep. Yes. <laughs> There's Praise nothing else God. you can yeah, do. That's... Yeah, exactly. I mean, and a lot of them were like that. I mean, again, you're dealing with a, something that's so unique and tender and personal, like prayer. Um, even I, I tended it with a very light hand. I'll say that. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. When you're writing about prayer, does it feel like it's a different type of like art that you're giving the world compared to like, say, for example, you know, Jesus Feminist? It's, does it feel like you're doing something different or does it feel the same to you? Um, it definitely felt a little bit different. I mean, this book was really um, meant to be more of a communal experience and less about um, maybe convincing people of a particular viewpoint as much as it was wanting to in- give people permission to reimagine and reinvent something for themselves. Yeah. Um, you know, which, you know, I think there's room probably for that in, in a lot of different ways of writing and a lot of different ways of showing up in a book. But I think that the main difference was to say, look, this isn't meant to be 
formulaic or prescriptive or give you a nice new tidy set of rules for prayer, that instead this was meant to almost show um, the breadth and the diversity and the goodness mm. of um, the full expression of prayer and all the ways that we come to prayer, give people mm. a chance to be like, oh, well, I didn't know you could talk to God like that. Or I didn't know we could say things like that out, out loud. Or um, this expresses something that I've felt in my heart for a really long time, but I need to borrow some language from someone else. And so it's a, it's a very different space that you're cultivating in terms of like inviting the reader into something. Um, and leaving a lot of room at the edges too. Yeah, if that makes sense. No, that, that makes perfect sense. You use the, uh, I guess the outline would be the uh, order, disorder, reorder. The language you use was orientation, disorientation, reorientation. Kind of like the the three phases um, that uh, you know a lot of people have have talked about from you know Brueggemann to Ricord to you know a lot of theologians. Uh, what made you gravitate towards that as a, a model for how we can build some language around prayer? Um, you know, I gravitated to the language maybe because so much of the, um, the conversation around prayer oftentimes can be like, you know, it's for a certain kind of person. There's mm -hmm. a certain kind of person who gets to pray. Um, and maybe we have that tricked out in our imagination based on our tradition or our culture or where we came from or denomination or whatever else it is. Here's the people who get to pray. Here's the people who are good at it. Um, and a lot of times we tend to think then that our spiritual journey is like a straight line. It's, it's a linear mm -hmm. thing. Um, and in my experience, and I think in a lot of people's experience, it actually is quite a little bit, uh, quite a bit more um, circuitous, right? Where you oftentimes find yourself right at the moment where you feel like you've got your feet underneath you, you feel oriented, there can be something that just disorients you. And then you find your footing again. And it's not that that never will happen again for you. It could be about scripture. It could be about, you know, politics, about um, church, about prayer. There's so many different ways where we can find ourselves on this journey that feels like we're just, we're turning around and yep. finding new ways to see God. And oftentimes we have to unlearn the, you know, broken or incomplete ways that we have understood God in order to have room to kind of reimagine some of those things. And so I was really careful not to even name what the orientation, disorientation, reorientation was, because I wanted to leave room for people, like I said, to be able to bring their own um, moments to that. And even the idea of like the rhythm of prayer was to say, listen, you can read it start to finish, but you can also dip in where you need to pull out the prayers that are really meaningful to you for, for this particular season of your life, whether it's orientation or reorientation or wherever you're at or maybe pull something from somewhere else a year from now, that it would yeah. be something that would be able to kind of keep pace with you um, wherever you were heading. And I saw that thread through all of them. It was quite, you know, again, I'm from more of like a Pentecostal-ish charismatic background. So I'm going to use like words like, I really felt like the Holy Spirit was present in that because to me, I went as these things were coming in and as I was crafting and writing my own essays and prayers and, you know, kind of pulling the thread, uh, between all of these contributors, the thread was just so clear to me, um, yeah. you know, what the spirit was at work with there. Yeah, that's good. A uh, couple things. I, I like the way that you talk about, uh, like, the journey that we're on. It's not linear. It's not like, you know, you start here, even with the language of uh, orientation, disorientation, reorientation, that it is a circuitous process where sometimes you're in, you know, order and then you're disordered and then you're reoriented and it's not like you just arrive someplace where when we talked in 2013 it's not like we're just 
on a trajectory that we're never going to go back to, you know, order or disorientation that it's always like this, this ongoing process. Um, you also mentioned that there are certain people that it seems like they're the ones who are supposed to pray. And I'm going to assume because I'm the person at front in my church who prays and talks the most, that it's typically going to be someone like me who's on stage, who's paid to do that. What are things that people like me who are typically assumed to be the ones who like are supposed to know about this do to create an environment where people feel like, oh, I'm not the one who's supposed to be able to pray? Did, oh, first of all, do you think I am I getting what you're saying? Like where you say there are certain people, they're the ones who are supposed to pray. Like it's like pastors are typically in that group, right? Is that what you're referring mm-hmm. to? Okay. Yeah, for sure. No, for sure. I think that too, even like there could be this sense of like the people who are like the ones that are supposed to be super holy, right? <laughs> they're the, the ones who, um, you know, pray with a lot of authority even, yeah. right? Can be a, a big part of that. And so I think that... Um, Sometimes one of the things that I have found when it comes to prayer is that the Bible is way more honest about prayer than we are Mm. Um, or about the conversation, right? We're actually having with God. And oftentimes when we curate prayer or we curate spaces for prayer um, or platform certain people who pray, um, we miss hearing the whispered, ragey, swear-filled, worshipful, adoring prayers of ordinary people. Who are walking with Jesus in a lot of ways I have felt in my life like I have learned to love Jesus better by hearing why and how other people who are very different than me love Jesus mm-hmm. it gives a whole new facet and beauty to the face of God to me um, and in a lot of ways prayer has been the same right the ways that I pray are very dear to me and very integral to who I am but I have learned to pray better and more deeply and more truly by listening to how people who are very different than myself or maybe different than, um, you know, the context or tradition where I had grown up, how they pray, how they interact with God. Um, For someone like me who comes from a really sloppy, down-to-the-dirt, low-church tradition, learning to pray liturgy, learning to pray, um, you know, from the Book of Common Prayer, learning centering prayer, contemplative practices, learning even to allow myself room for some imprecatory prayers with a lot of rage in them. Like those are things that, um, that to me began to reveal more and more of, of the conversation that we're actually having with God all the time, which I think underneath all of it is that you are always giving and receiving love and being held mm-hmm. by love. Um, and so I think, yeah, having, having diversity of experience and season of life, um, and personhood, I, I, social location, man, that's that feels like heaven to me. That's yeah. that's, that's what the good stuff is. Yeah, that's good. I think the the more that we learn to listen to others and to hear their experience and the way that they have found themselves connected and in relation to God, I think it only strengthens and bolsters our connection, our relationship to the divine. Uh, you mentioned that uh, that you were loved, and th- like that's the essay. I guess that was your first one in the book where it starts, and it's like this beautiful blessing of your love just where you are. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to rip that off at some point uh, in a service, and so I feel like if I just say that up front, like, all great, cool All now. great artists steal. All great yeah, artists steal. This exactly. is what we do. So I, like I'm just saying, like, it's going to happen because um, it's so beautiful. Uh, what made you think, like, when you're first writing about, like, orientation, what made you think, like, that's the first thing that starts when we understand, like, our orientation to God in prayer? Um... 
I think that that's a really important place for me, for all of us to start from, because I have found that almost all of our theology and prayer life and our posture in the world, our way of approaching um, life and justice and politics and our neighborhoods and our churches, all these things, they almost all track their way to what you believe about the nature and character of God. Um, And if you perceive God as someone who is angry and judgmental, um, that affects how you show up in those spaces, right? There's a scarcity mindset there. There's a fear mindset there. And so for me, when anytime you're approaching prayer, just like anything else, what does it look like to actually begin right off the bat by reorienting yourself to the to your belovedness in Christ? What does it look like to orient yourself to the full and complete love of God? And then how do you how does that change you then? Because then you begin to live like you're loved. And in the yeah. same way, how, what does it look like to begin uh, prayer or to begin to pray with and for other people from a posture not of um, judgment or fear? or scarcity, or measuring up, or your worthlessness, but instead from a posture of, I'm, I'm loved just where I am. Not someday when I'm ticking, you know, filling in all the star charts that I've somehow imagined God has for me, uh, like God's some angry banker, you know, <laughs> keeping track. Um, yeah. There's not a whole lot of spreadsheets in the kingdom of God, glory, hallelujah, because I think that that Amen. idea of like, the belovedness and having that be right out the gate where you are you don't have to be pretend to be less human than you are you don't have to pre- pretend to be less sad than you are you don't have to pretend to be less tired than you are which i think is a big thing for a lot of us right now in the middle of this ongoing never-ending pandemic and hmm. you know global crises and all these things god we're so tired right you don't have to yeah. pretend that you're not that tired that you're not human that those mm-hmm. very things that we've been taught to edit out of ourselves are actually really precious to god and that's the place where i think god wants to meet with us those could be altars to understand you say, how deeply loved we are. When you say precious, what do you mean by that, that they're precious to God? Um, I think I mean, I'm reminded of this uh, passage of scripture over in Isaiah where um, a prophet talks about how a bruised reed he will not break. Mm-hmm. And I think um, we're a community oftentimes of people who are very bruised. Um, you see in over and over in the stories of Jesus, right? The, um, shepherd who goes after the one lamb leaves the 99, um, searching for the one lost coin. I think there's something really tender about the ones who are hurting and the ones who are tired and the ones who are, I think that God has, shows a real preference, um, and, and heart for the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed, the ones who are underneath someone else's boot. Um, which I think is why it serves us to relocate the geography of the kingdom of God to uh, the center of that to being the margins, because oftentimes it's where God yeah. is, is right at work. And those are the people who are often still praying, right? Um, and still still experiencing a sense of prayer. And so I think that um, when I say that that's precious, I'm probably working off of more of a scriptural understanding of saying who are the people who are precious to God and, and who are the oh, people where I can see the image of God. Yeah, no, that's that's spot on. Yeah, I I think you can't read too much of Jesus without seeing Jesus' preferential treatment for the outsider. Yeah, so that's right. Yeah, like the precious. misfits, right? The ones, yeah. the ones who are a little bit on the edge. Um, it seems like Jesus always had an eye for those people, and that gives yeah. me a lot of hope. Yeah, it seems like Jesus has a reoccurring theme of the people you expect to be in the kingdom aren't the ones who are there, and the ones you didn't right. expect to be there are the ones who are there. And Jesus is always saying. <laughs> 
let the outsiders, let the kids come to me. Let the, yeah, let mm -hmm. the unclean. Yeah, that's good. So precious. I like that. Um, so orientation starts with love. Uh, it starts with the understanding that, you know, before I do anything, uh, in, in the same way that Jesus at his baptism, before he, you know, preached any sermons or healed anyone or was raised from the dead, God says to Jesus, this is my beloved. Like mm -hmm. we orientate ourselves in the same way that, that in some ways Jesus' ministry was orientated not on his you know, performance or his productivity, but on his personhood as someone who's loved by God. So we start there and then there are phases of disorientation where, where things you know, don't go. Disorientation that life doesn't make sense. God doesn't make sense to us. And one of the things I loved uh, in that section is that you had this beautiful breath prayer, which I mean, it's copied and pasted from scripture. And what is it about breath prayer? Because, you know, for someone, I grew up in the Churches of Christ, which I know that's not your tradition. It's a little bit different. I think, did you, uh, I feel like you've done stuff with the Churches of Christ in these last few years. Did you do like a preaching thing for my friend yeah, Pat I Bills? Did I yeah, did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, I forgot about that one being in 2016, I think. It's been a while. Whoa, let's let's like not talk about how long ago stuff was. Again, uh, we started when we were teenagers. Uh, we met at the DMV. We're both getting our license. That was 2013. Um, nevertheless, so, so that's my tradition. You have some familiarity with it. Um, but breath prayer wasn't something that we did. And the more charismatic -y tradition, I assume that's probably not. There's a lot of breathing and panting with charismatics, but it's not like <laughs> breath prayers. Stop laughing. <laughs> you couldn't say it with a straight face. <laughs> Listen, I, I did a lot of heavy breathing in youth group situations. <laughs> ah, nope. That's that's not the kind we're talking about. Um, my daughter just left the room, luckily, so she didn't hear that. Um, the how did you come across breath prayers? Um, you know, breath prayers was something that actually um, I started practicing more and more at the beginning of the pandemic uh, because I found that they were. Um, I came across them. Um, in another, uh, I can't remember who it was that introduced me to them, but there was this sense of um, calming anxiety. Mm -hmm. um, and oftentimes when I didn't know what I wanted to pray, especially in those early days, things felt very anxious. There was a lot of, uh, a lot of things we didn't know. And for me, I find a lot of um, comfort and reorientation and, and perspective in scripture. And so for other people, maybe it would be in, in some other, other place, perhaps. But for me, it was returning to these things that I wanted to remember or, or really kind of sink down into my soul and having this moment of stillness and just breathing in and breathing out through, you know, a couple of lines of scripture that I knew I needed that day um, or moving forward. Uh, and I think also it lends itself to a lot of creativity, um, a lot of personalization, um, and yeah, I would, I would do that several times a day and it's become actually something that's, you know, almost a constant thing, you know, that you can kind of even do it in the pickup line at uh, school yep. or, you know, a lot of other places. There's, there's a lot of different ways to, to pray and to orient yourself to God. And that was, yeah. that was one that I found really helpful when my, um, anxiousness and feeling very stirred up it yeah. was something that anchored me. Yeah. I think I was probably first introduced to this uh, in grad school, and I guess it's maybe called the Jesus Prayer, where it's Lord Jesus, have huh. mercy on me, a sinner. Sometimes it's you know simplified, mm -hmm. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, um, and that's become a, like one of the very anchoring practices for me. Obviously, the the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer, has been probably most central to me. Uh, but breath prayers, especially like that one, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, very meaningful. I, I love the way you did this, where you basically just pick scripture and the inhale is first half, exhale is the second half. Um, 
there was one that I was taught by uh, a woman that we were in our small group together like eight or ten years ago where she said uh, she did this breath prayer where it was breathe in peace breathe out control breathe in peace mm-hmm. breathe out control uh, that was that stuck with me as well when you're writing mm-hmm. this um, and you're breathing breathing in scripture exhaling other parts of scripture has uh, praying scripture been something that has always been a part of a practice for you or is this also new around uh, like the past year or so during the pandemic no, this is probably the most common and most centered part of prayer for me from my my faith tradition because really? um yeah, I come from um the prosperity gospel word of faith tradition um in western Canada and praying the word was a huge part of our lives. It I mean, I think that sometimes we can make a lot of jokes around, you know, the name it and claim it. Because listen, that was there. There's there's some trauma. There's <laughs> a lot of jokes that should be made there, right there. There's a lot of jokes that should be made. And so and that's true, right? I had to unlearn a lot of very um broken and incomplete theology around prayer. Uh, I had to lose prayer for a really long time in order to find it again. What is that? But mean? a big part when you um, lost prayer. I stopped praying consciously. Hmm. Like, what, ma- what made you intentionally choose to conscientiously stop praying? Um, it was the the realization that I couldn't control outcomes and that it didn't, quote unquote, work the way that I had been taught it would. Because, again, when you're in a tradition where, you know, you're meant to expect a miracle and that God's heart is always for your flourishing and you are praying in the, um, you know, to expect that particular outcome. And then when you become part of that company of people who have unanswered prayers, who are um, experiencing sorrow or grief or loss, um, you very quickly find that there's not a lot of room for your narrative when the dominant narrative is answered prayers, victory, overcomer, and you've been overcome, right? And so for me, it was that experience of just saying, I can't pray like this anymore. So I guess that means I don't get to pray. Um, I guess that means this is done, right? And so there were a lot of years of that. And so returning to prayer um, came in through another gate for me. I think that uh, learning new pathways, ancient pathways towards prayer, reimagining prayer, like I said earlier, learning from other people how they pray, um, then gave me the eyes to go back to my own tradition that I felt I didn't know that there was anything there I wanted to pull and bring with me. But I realized that praying the word was actually really important to me. And so yeah. praying through scripture um, and praying out loud the language of the prophets and the psalmists and the prayers of Jesus and, and finding in scripture that these were prayers I could trust, that these were true. And returning to that was actually ended up being a really surprising um, reclamation that I wasn't expecting. And I'm really grateful for it now. Like praying, yeah. praying through scripture has been a, a, a real lovely thing to reclaim. Wow. Oh, that's great. Obviously, it's it's heartbreaking whenever uh, you have to lose a central part of your connection to God. And I assume mm-hmm. having a disorientation from prayer was probably pretty unnerving to you. And, you know, m- my experience early on, as I started to be a person who prayed, uh, obviously was sent around, you know, praying for, uh, I mean, my mom was chronically ill and praying for her as a kid to get better. And, you know, that never happened. And for me, there's a lot of dryness in prayer because it's like, well, obviously it doesn't 
like give you what you want. And for me, like I had to come to a different side of prayer to go. It's more of a connection to God. It's more of being centered in who God is less about trying to get God to do what I want. And, um, that's not always, (laughs) that's not always easy. I'm at home today. My daughter just decided to come in and join the podcast. So thank you for that, Audrey. Um, when, uh, so the last section of the book is on reorientation and you have this line about learning to, learning to love the world again. Mm-hmm. And it seems that many people like kind of have like this, Hey, I'm, you know, I, I I've reached this new place. I, you know, I've matured. I, I I'm erudite now. I've got it all figured out. And, uh, it, it always leaves it, for those people who are in spiral dynamics, it's the mean green stuff where you've ascended to a certain level and you kind of look down at everyone else who's underneath you. And as scripture tells us, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And the idea to like to come back to love seems so grounding to like, to bring this all back together. When you're writing this orientation, the reorientation section, and it's talking about learning to love again, what is the the impulse for that for you? Um, you know, I, I think that there was a sense, um, a couple of years ago for me of saying the world feels very overwhelming, Mm -hmm. right? There's, and I don't know that necessarily I can love the world (laughs) right now. It's loving in general feels real hard right about now, but that was the, I began to start to think, what does it look like to love in particular? Mm -hmm. Um, I think that God loves quite in particular and it Mm -hmm. it just happens to include all of us right and so then that um, practice of learning to love the world in particular rather than just a grand sweeping generalizations that would just include everybody and nobody there was a sense of can I name that Um, can I name the particularities of love in order to begin to love the world again Um, Mm -hmm. and I found that that was almost like an open window when I felt like the door wasn't quite there like it was an easy way to kind of sneak into learning how to love the world again was by learning to love things in particular. Um, And so naming that, practicing that uh, began to function as kind of both an invocation and a benediction at the same time uh, for a lot of life for me. And, uh, and yeah, that's still something that I practice quite a lot. Um, I'll sit down and write and rewrite that prayer to learn to love the world again. I'll just swap stuff out and, you know, name other things you know, yeah. other than, uh, than what's going on in, in maybe that moment and say, what are the, what are the particular things I can love in order to give me, um, a, a pathway back towards loving the world again? Yeah. Now, so this is probably gonna be hard for you to imagine as someone who doesn't live in America, but sometimes in America, I know it's understood to be like the best country in the world that has everything figured out. We've got everything perfected, but sometimes we have political strife in our country and, uh, like there's two sides, Republicans and Democrats who don't always get along. I don't know if you knew that being up up north but what happens is sometimes people can't love their neighbors because they vote for the wrong person and Mm -hmm. it's it's amazing to hear i know this is very unnerving for you to imagine this about america but what happens is we we can't love all that group whoever they are Mm -hmm. but there's something unique that happens when you're sitting next to that person in church and you both receive the sacraments together. And all of a sudden, you're not loving all people in that political group, but you're loving this one individual person. You're loving that particular person. And it can build bridges in a ways that like trying to love the entire group can't do. So I love this idea right. of loving particular. We can't love abstract. I'm going to love everything. I can love this person in this moment. Mm-hmm. That's great. No, exactly. 
exactly. And that was brand new information. I had no idea there was such thing. I know. It's hard to imagine. <laughs> One of the things, you know, about being America is that, you know, everyone imagines us to have it all figured out. And so it's anyway, sorry that you had to go through that we disorientation. Only, we can only dream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, our beloved friend, Barbara Brown Taylor, in her section, uh, in that last part of the book, uh, she talks about uh, her prayer journey. And she says a very similar thing in, oh, it's two books ago. I forget the title of it. Uh, but the one oh, about- Holy uh, Envy? No, the one before that, I don't remember if the right order. It's one about like full, like in the dark, learning to walk in the dark. Lear learning to walk in the dark. Oh, God, Is that it? Yes. Dark. It's so good. It was so good. Uh, so it's still good. good. It, it hasn't like stopped being good. It continues to be good. No. But yeah, it's she, absolutely brilliant. Which, that's Barbara Brown Taylor. Um, that's kind of what we expect. But she has this thing about where the things that she used to hold on to like would fit in this like big chest. But over the years, they've shrunk down. And there's less things that she holds on to, to the point where like it fits in this, I, I forget the, the metaphor she used, but it, when she's talking about prayer, like it used to be all these big things that she could hold to, but now it's simpler. It doesn't have the language of the book was like, doesn't have the Christology maybe that I think I should have, but I think God is so good with this. When you think about like the, the freedom that gives for some people as they enter prayer, how can you like imagine the, the freedom that that would give for others? I think that that's one of the the things that is so beautiful and is, a, is part of the reason why we ended um, the book with the exception of my benediction. That was kind of, that's right at the end of the book. Mm -hmm. um, it was that line that she had in there that says like, I think it was like the better, you know, the mountain, the more intimate you become, the harder yeah. it is to see it as something that's wholly separate. Um, and I think that's the place you, you can land sometimes. Right. Mm -hmm. And not, you know, there can be moments where you just kind of can realize that, um, you know, prayer is, what was it Nadia said in her prayer? She said, give us the words, but also give us the pause that comes before the words. Mm. And I think that's, that's even in, in that sense of permission and that sense of being, um, and the conversation that's always happening, whether you're doing it consciously or not, that you're having with God, um, and you become one. And I think that that's really beautiful. So, yeah, I think that there's a lot of invitation with what, what she had to write and share a lot of um, hope even, right? Yeah. Even if that's not true for everyone right in the exact moment, that that kind of intimacy, you know, that comes sometimes with time and that comes sometimes with sorrow, that comes with spending your joys and your laughters and your uh, griefs together. And mm -hmm. I think that that's the invitation of prayer all the time. Yeah. Uh, let me pivot here for a second. One of the things that you also mentioned in the book is um, is the, I guess, the privilege and the emphasis we give on able-bodied people and the way that it's been easy for us to not have our eyes on the people that would be precious to Jesus and God, uh, those who don't experience the same, ex uh, the same life as those who are able-bodied people. Uh, why was it important for you to include that in this book on prayer? Um, there's a lot of reasons why I really wanted to include disabled voices in the book. Uh, and there's a number of them. Um, and I think that part of the reason was, I mean, yeah, it's just, this is who belongs here. Mm -hmm. Right. And this is all of us. This is, um, there was something really beautiful about that for me. My own journey, the last number of years, I had a car accident about four years ago that irrevocably changed my body um, and my place in the world. And 
learning how to have language from that and learning how to embrace and practice um, love with a body that doesn't maybe line up with, you know, oftentimes the ideals that our, our culture would, you know, begin to say and begin to name some of not only the sins of ableism and the need for repentance, um, but even the place of like how we have discounted beauty and silenced and not listened to um, the voices of people who are disabled, disabled people um, to begin to understand this is, there's so much to learn here. There's so much goodness here. These are prayers that can, can convict us and teach us um, and that God's glory is being manifest here, not in spite of disability, but often, you know, right in the midst. Yeah. And I think that there's something really um, beautiful about learning how to wholly welcome that. Um, and honor and bless it and be taught by it right mm -hmm. I think there's a lot a lot we have to learn i think not just in terms of justice um and community and belonging and acceptance but even in the sense of um i don't know i can't remember i, I know stephanie stephanie tate wrote at i think at the end of her her prayer which is a liturgy for disability um you know that there would be this sense of on earth as it is in heaven which includes all of us and i think that was mm -hmm. really important for me to be able to explicitly and implicitly name and include fully um to to see that this was this is how heaven looks and feels and sounds what do you mean by well i, I don't want you to try to speak for uh, stephanie but as you imagine the connection of on earth as it is in heaven in terms of people with different experiences with what their body uh, is and isn't able to do. How, how do you connect those two things? Um, I'm not sure I'm entirely clear well, what you're asking. Okay, so when, when I hear that, and I know some people would interpret it as, well, in heaven, everyone's body is going to work a certain way. And so it's hmm. almost like it's dismissive of the experience here as like what it is on earth is, um, you know, as Paul would say, like I, I look dimly in a mirror, like I, I see a partial reflection. Um, is that how you understand that? Or is it a different, do you understand it differently than that? You know, I think there's a lot of mystery there for me that I'm, I'm actually really comfortable with at this stage because um, when I think on earth as it is in heaven, I think maybe less about like, you know, what does that actually tactically, physically yeah. mean in my body? And I think I think about it more in how we connect and interact with one another and honor one another and truly see one another um, is probably more where, where I'm looking at from it. I'm not entirely sure how that's going to come together or what that's going to look like. I have some dreams, yeah. some hopes around it. Um, I'd really like to, you know, not have, you know, a, a chronic pain days. <laughs> that would be really nice sometimes. But at the same time, um, pain has taught me a lot too. And so I would yeah. want to hold on to that. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think that there's some things there that I am interested in living into for a bit longer yeah. um, before maybe I have any straight exact answers on that. No, no, no. Yeah, that's great. I'm not trying to like push you to have an answer. I was just trying to no. conceptualize because no, I, I feel like the, the... It's interesting, right? It's interesting to talk about. I think that's why I've so appreciated people like, Stephanie and Aaliyah and a number of other folks who have been on that path for a lot longer than me and saying like, oh, okay, this is, this is good language. This is good uh, posture in the world. This is a good um, openness or, or um, way to think, you know, um, you know, and I, I've learned so much from that and it's really enriched and, and uh, my own personal 
journey in an embodied self, but also in how, you know, we kind of go through life. And so, yeah, I'm just really grateful for that. Yeah. You wrote years ago, uh, I don't even know where it was, but you talked about leaning into the pain instead of going away mm -hmm. from it, lean into the pain. I feel like you even used the metaphor of uh, childbirth in there at some point. For uh, sure. Which, you know, I believe that, like I've never had the same experience that uh, you probably had with childbirth, but, um, you know, but in the room, nevertheless. Um, you wrote about that years ago before the car accident. As you think about like this on the other side, uh, as someone who's dealt with chronic pain for four years, um, does the idea of leaning into the pain r resonate different now? than before? Um, no, I, you know, if anything, I think I probably found that to be a really helpful metaphor for me, you know, years later, right? And so again, I have found that it's oftentimes um, one of the things I learned in childbirth, and we have four children. Um, one of the things that I learned in childbirth is that there, there's this like fear, tension, pain cycle that we can get into where you're afraid. And so you get very, very tense. And then the pain becomes more intense and then you get more scared and then you become more tense and then the pain becomes more intense and it kind of can turn into this cycle that you really can't really disrupt um, physically unless you actually lean into the pain that you stop fighting it that you stop being afraid of it um, that you stop seeing it necessarily as, as fully an, an enemy but instead a partner there to work with you in your body um, and of course me being me i'm like that's physical metaphor can just be lifted up and applied to anything in my spiritual life. And I have found that very clear in my, uh, you know, in, in that context. But then even now, um, I have found that it's when I am resisting and afraid and tense um, that there's not that release of leaning into the teaching of pain. Um, and even the cooperation and listening to that comes with pain. I think a lot of times we're taught to medicate it or and that can be helpful. Don't get me wrong. Um, but more this sense of um, not seeing it as an enemy, but as a, an invitation to something. And I think that that has held true for me, for sure. So, uh, okay. Sarah, thank you so much. Hey, congratulations on the book Rhythm of Prayer. Uh, thank you for coming back on the podcast. It's great chatting with you again. I am being absolutely loving our conversation. Thank you for all your work and all you're doing. I appreciate the invitation. Thanks. Yeah. All, all the best. See you, friend. All right. Take care. Bye. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.